Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Alex Venezia, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Yeah, it's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, we go back a little ways. I think uh, first time we met was, yeah. what was that, 10 years ago? Was it that long ago? Maybe not a whole 10, but close. It's getting there, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. it was at, at a workshop you actually took from me, and then you went off and became a better mm -hmm. painter, so better painter than me, so... No. I don't, I don't, I think you, <laughs> I think you're, you sort of threw away everything I tried to teach you and said, no, no, I got a better way. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no, that Definitely was, not. I have to share, I have to share uh, with the audience how that went down at the workshop. So first of all, you didn't throw everything away because you were a great student. So just to clear that up, you were an awesome student at the workshop, but I remember, and correct me if I'm remembering wrong. But I remember we were outside. Mm -hmm. We were at Garen yeah. Baker's studio where the where the workshop was, and we're outside. And I just remember telling you, dude, you just got to start doing this career thing because you are freaking amazing. And you were pretty insecure about it back then. I I remember feeling like like you weren't sure about yourself whether Probably. you could make it. Yeah, and my gosh, you had some chops. And obviously, they've only gotten better from there. No, yeah, that was fun. I. I always recall a certain moment when I'm talking to people, uh, like students and stuff, whatever, that there was a point where you came up to my painting and you were like, you can paint this muted all you want, like after my workshop, but for right now, we're gonna try and add some color in. And you just came up and you added like this bright green and bright blue and bright red in these spots. And then, I looked up at the model and I actually saw, you know, what you put down. And from that point, like this, something clicked about this sort of hatching and weaving of colors to find the right color or to make a realistic flesh tone. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad but I was able anyway, to help you I in some way. To, <laughs> I appreciate um, that. I tell everyone to take your workshop. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, your work has just blossomed. I mean, it's unbelievable what you've accomplished. I mean, you're in Arcadia Gallery now. You're having solo shows. I'm assuming everything is selling. Um, I mean, congrats on all your success. Thank you. But I want to hear, I know a little bit about your background. I know you sort of learned by jumping around mm -hmm. from workshop to workshop. But um, tell me more about this journey you've taken from childhood till today. Yeah. Okay. Let me see where I should start. You well, can start I mean, a little like most... after birth, just a little after birth. Yeah, yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, as a kid, always interested in drawing and coloring and being artistic, but it was nothing any, it was nothing better than any other, you know, little kid. Um, so I was always drawing and stuff and 
It, I mean, it was nothing really past that until high school. I had a, I had an art teacher, Edward Obermeyer, who, in his class, he kind of saw that I was really interested in it, and he kind of let me do whatever I wanted as long as I turned in the uh, assignments on time. So there were specific assignments that all the students had to do, but then he kind of was like, yeah, if you're working on that, you know, do that, but just turn it in on time. So he let me do what I wanted, and he showed me. He was doing a uh, sort of a lecture on Chiroscuro and brought up Caravaggio, and when I saw Caravaggio for the first time, that's when I was like, whoa, hmm. is that, like, what is that, you know? And it's like, oh, okay, it's oil paint. Can people still paint like that today? Wait, was that your first uh, exposure to classical painters? Or, or because Caravaggio is kind of surprising to me that that's who your first inspiration yeah. was. Or was that just your first classical painter that you saw? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you had you had no so experience was, with mean, classical art up until that point, until you saw Caravaggio. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've been to a museum, but it was, you know. And I will say, now that I'm remembering, before that, like, let's say right before that, I was really big into, like, the skateboard community and sort of going to shows like music. Uh, and so I really liked art that I thought was cool, like graphic, like graphic designs on skateboards and graffiti and stuff like that. Right. And then when I saw Caravaggio for the first time, I was like, okay, no, this is not just cool. This is emotional um, and poetic. And I was like, how can I do that? And then I expressed that to my art teacher and he gave me a whole set of oil paint. Wow. Like just, yeah. And, and a palette and everything. And he yeah, kind of introduced me to it. And then from there, I went to a university for one semester because I thought, you just don't know. So you go to, you're like, okay, go to an art school. That's what will teach me how to do art. But then obviously they didn't. So I dropped out and I took my first workshop in like a local gallery in Virginia Beach. And that artist... Um, showed me, I think that's where I was introduced to Jeremy Lipking and Nelson Shanks and a lot of the people who were alive doing it. And that's when I realized I could kind of actually go out and learn from these people. So how and, did you know, yeah. <clears throat> what, how did you come to create this workshop education or, or was it more than more than that did you do something else mm -hmm. besides workshops no so um i remember when after i dropped out and i took that work first workshop i was thinking where should i go study and i was looking at like a angel academy in italy and then florence academy and Studio and Kaminati and GCA. And after looking through all of them, first I realized I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I was like, because I'm like, okay, can I move to New York City? Can I move to Italy um, and be able to afford that intuition? And 
I went as far as actually applying to Grand Central mm-hmm. and getting an interview with Jacob Collins and getting accepted. But then once I was accepted, I was it kind of hit me like, oh, wait, I have no idea how I could do this. Yeah, I, I had a bit of an inkling that. Uh, looking at all of the student work from all these schools that I didn't want to be exactly like one school. Right. And so it was also really hard for me to decide that point. So I think I kept pushing off deciding where to study. And in between that, I just kept taking workshops and then realized it was working. And in between workshops, in in between workshops, I mean, I was just always doing my own paintings, taking what I learned from the workshop and applying it. And yeah. So who are some of the artists you took workshops with? Well, first was, well, yeah, this artist, John De La Vega and my friend, these are like the local, but some of the more prominent ones. First, I took one from Darren Kingsley from mm-hmm. Studio and Kaminati. And then uh, I've taken a figure drawing uh, workshop from Colleen Barry. I've taken Michael Klein's workshop, uh, a flower painting workshop from him, um, a Daniel Sprick interior painting workshop. I mean, I spent a couple months at Odd Nerdrums, but this is not in order. Obviously, your workshop. I took a workshop from Casey Bao or Bao really early on. Um, yeah. Wow. Those are some if big, any, big artists. Any other ones, yeah. 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 So tell me about the yeah. Odd Nerdrum thing. How did you end up studying with Odd Nerdrum? You can you can see over my shoulder everyone is going out to lunch. Uh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> oh no. Everyone uh oh no, I'm not saying that I'm hungry or something. <laughs> Just for, for people listening, the fact that I'm in East Oak Studio right now and there's like five other artists working in this. Yeah, that's a building cool and just went out to lunch. Um so yes, Odd Nerdrum. When I saw Odd's work, I was like, this is the only guy at the time. I was like, oh, this is the only guy still alive that can paint like an old master. Mm-hmm. I need to go study with him. Is that possible? And then I just looked at his website and it was like, send us an email with like three images of your work or something and why, why you want to come. And to my surprise, they actually, you know, responded and said, you can come in the fall or whatever. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Norway. Hmm. And I mean, that was just a wild experience. I, I could just start describing it, but, uh, no, let's hear about it. Let's hear about it. I want to hear about it. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people who look up Todd Nirgen would love to hear what an experience like that is like. Yeah. Well, it was funny because they kept having, they kept switching up where they were telling me to fly into because he has a studio in uh, Norway, but then he also has a studio that was being built in Sweden. Mm. And the studio in Sweden was supposed to be built by the time I got there. 
And it wasn't, but I flew into Sweden. So for like a whole week, it was just me and Odd's wife in this like big empty house in Sweden hmm. until like Odd and his sons came from Norway and like came and like picked me up and brought me back. So I was just chilling with his wife in a house that had his paintings all laying around. So I kind of just got to spend time with the paintings like there's this huge painting, like life-size, called Five Singing Women. And it was just like in their garage. <laughs> and I would just go like sit on the floor in the garage and look at it like, I'm in Sweden, this is so weird. Uh, but then, yeah, so then I went to Norway. With them we drove. And then I met all the students. That's where I met Divya. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. It's very old, worldly. Like, you feel like you're walking into, like, a candlelit cave. I arrived at night, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, and then like, their family are wearing, like, all old clothing. Really? Uh, but, I mean, one of the most... So then, like, the dynamic with the students, there's, like, a separate house that's where the students live and Odd Studio is. And so I was living there. There was the odd studio and then the student studio. You could kind of walk in between. And everyone was kind of doing self-portraits or trying to do, like, their take on a narrative painting. And then you could just watch odd paint uh, every day. And he would have students model and stuff in exchange and, like, prepare his canvases and stuff. Mm. And... the The most incredible thing of the whole experience was to see him take, like, a little... Like, just almost it looked like a doodle, just like these kind of scribbles of figures, and take that and then make it into a life-size narrative painting. And just seeing how you went from something so simple to something so grand and complicated with the, you know, wardrobe and making up the background and how he would pose the figures to fit his drawing. He wasn't, you know, just copying whatever he put in front of him. Right. Uh, and it, yeah, I could get more specific with specific questions, but it was, wow. it was great. Yeah. That, so how much do you think that affected your painting studying with odd? I think that it, cause it was right after that point that I feel like I fine tuned my aesthetic into a cohesive body of work. Whereas in before that point, every now and then I would hit something that was like, this feels like how I want to paint. But then I would paint something else. I'm like, who let me paint that? Why did I paint that? And it would just kind of bounce everywhere. And then going to odds and then directly from odds, I came to East Oaks which are, at that point was Michael Klein, Joshua LaRock, and Lewis Carr. And being in that environment then with all of the kind of artwork around and beauty, something I think clicked in form of uh, aesthetic and mood that I was looking for. And maybe it was just being surrounded by it and seeing it being created. Uh, yeah. And then I think that 
I keep going back to things that I've seen him do there as I progress more and more in my art making because I am trying to I'm trying to uh, more come up with an idea, sketch it out, and then use the model as a supplement to my idea instead of being a slave to everything that's in front of me. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I keep kind of going back in my mind to what I saw Odd do because I think it was the closest to what a lot of old masters were doing when they were coming up with ideas that clearly weren't there in front of them. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so your next stage was East Oaks. Um, tell us about yeah. how you were introduced to that school and what your role is there. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, well, Michael, I saw that they were making, you know, do starting East Oak stuff and the video stuff, and Michael just kind of reached out before I went to Odd Michael Klein, and, right? Yes, yeah. Michael Klein. And he was saying, I might have an opportunity for you. You know, I might have something, but I'll be in touch soon. And then, like, as this just eager painter, I'm like, okay. He's oh, torturing you. What is <laughs> and then months, like, months would go by. Oh, my gosh. I would have, I just kept following up. And he just, like, wasn't ready yet or whatever. And then finally, when I went to Portrait Society my first time, I think I saw you there. Um, I ran into them, you know, somewhat purposefully to kind of be like, here I am. What, what the hell are you, what the hell are you trying to get me? Like, what is it? Yeah. And so all of the guys were there and we went out to dinner and I think they just told me more about it anyway. So they were just looking for, so I wasn't a student. They were more looking for someone who was on on the verge of kind of about to make a, making a career, in the verge of like making a career. Uh, they didn't want a student that they had to like hold their hand. They just kind of wanted. Well, I can't explain what they wanted, but I was basically I came as someone who came and painted in the studio, just like as if we were all studio mates. And, and, uh, so you're I an artist in of, residence. Yeah. I'm an artist in residence and I ask questions and advice every now and then, but it wasn't a student like right. environment. Right. Yeah. Long way. Of getting to that. Yeah. And how did, how has that experienced affected your career and your painting well that what was really interesting about that was it was the moment i was really thrown into the business side of painting Mm -hmm. because i i remember when i was going there i was like oh everybody's we're all going to be like opening art books and talking about talking about art and uh in almost this poetic way that you think artists 
talk about art and the model's going to be there all the time, almost like this atelier environment. But then they were having like Monday morning business meetings about, you know, producing videos and how to like sell their work and a portrait commission clients and all this stuff. And at first I was kind of disappointed, but then I think, you know, uh, then I was kind of just through being there and hearing everything and talking, just learned a lot about the business side of art and mm-hmm. watch, I mean, watch the art. I mean, three artists that were very much already in their careers, how much they had to work, produce, how much stuff they were making and selling you that you never saw mm-hmm. just all of the aspects about it as well as the, as well as the, the beauty and the creation of it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so uh, you mentioned off, off camera that you were, I'm leaving soon. So tell us about that. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. So um, the next step, we are not exactly sure of yet, but Divya, who's my wife, Divya Melaluka, who's also a painter, um, she's from Australia. We met at Odd Nerdrums. But because of first my solo sh- or no, not, I forget which one happened, which uh, opportunity I got first, but basically COVID happened when we were supposed to go there mm-hmm. uh, and visit her family. So she hasn't seen her family in like three years. Mm. So we're going to go for an extended period of time, like maybe up to like six months. And while we're there, we don't want to be paying rent here and feels like it's a good time for a next move. So. Mm. We're completely moving out of here. And then the next step is kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, we will be in Australia for a bit. And uh, I mean, we're not going to just pick a place on the map. There's going to be a you know a good reason to go somewhere, but we're excited to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Do you have any idea if you'll at least come back to America? Yes, probably. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll probably be, I don't think... Uh, you know, maybe living in Australia one day, but I don't think for a while. Right, right. And we got to get Divi on the podcast too. She's also an exceptional painter. You guys are are some team. Yeah, yeah. Her work's awesome. Yeah, she's great. Um, so t- you mentioned that when you uh, left Odd Nerdrum, you sort of zeroed in on your personal aesthetic. How would you? Mm-hmm describe that what is it that you're after in your work and what is you know as a body of work what are Mm -hmm. your goals with your painting yeah um it's a good good question it's well there's i always think there's like a general at first for me and i feel like with a lot of painters you just when you're first learning to paint, you don't really know what to paint, but you know you love painting. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of just start copying what other people are painting because you're like, I love this. Mm-hmm. And, or even like my still lives were of palettes and, uh, you know, just painting props. And then 
then you start zeroing out like, okay, what kind of personality am I? What kind of, what kind of music do I tend to listen to? What kind of movies am I like drawn to watch? Cause everyone is so different in those, in those things. And what imagery am I drawn to? If I, if I uh, take myself away from the fact that I love painting because I could love a painting that's not my aesthetic, but because it's painted so well and I love painting, that just means I'm going to look at it and appreciate it. But what's what's my imagery? So I I just found a Im, I found I was more drawn to imagery that's kind of moody, somewhat somewhat dark and moody, but it's not so specific. It's more of a thing that you I. I can feel when I've hit it, when it feels like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually really hard to hit because you're like, okay, setting up a model and picking clothes and stuff. And then you just stumble upon it. But then once you start to hit it more and more, it becomes more natural. And I started to maybe make the right choices more often that were in line with imagery that I felt connected to that was kind of moody and it's really hard to say what it. Mm, yeah, I know. I knew exactly when I asked that question, it's hard question. Cause a lot of times <laughs> when I ask questions, I'm like, geez, how would I answer that? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, right. a, that was um, a hard one yeah. to hit. <laughs> no, it's a good question though. Yeah. Well, so uh, let's go, let's go ahead and look at your paintings. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your work. It is just so beautiful. You have a ton of paintings of Divya in here. I mean, I believe this is her, this is her, this is her, correct. And she's in here, which I think is really a beautiful thing that she's so much part of your portfolio. Um, yeah. But, you know, one thing that strikes me about your work is how timeless it is. You know, I look at you and you're like a hip 30-year-old. How old are you now? Somewhere around 30? 29, yeah. 29. (laughs) So, you know, hip young guy, and yet your work is like, it's, I'm not saying it's not hip, but it's like, it could have been painted. Right. It could have been painted yesterday. It could have been painted in the 18th century, 19th century. Um, it's just got mm-hmm. this incredible timelessness to it. And um, are you after that in your work? Are you after creating a timeless quality or is it just something that's kind of happened? Um, I would say I am, yeah. That's, that is actually a good word to describe that I could have used in the qu- last question. I am trying to find something that's timeless and that hopefully won't be dated, you know, in 20 or 50 years, you know, because there's some paintings you look and you're like, oh, that was painted in the eighties. And I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a claw, you know? right? The figures all have the claw. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> the and so there might be ways that these are going to be dated that I won't, don't even see right now because it looks timeless, but you know, uh, but I'm definitely trying to, it's something timeless, yeah. And uh, yeah, and I mean, what you're doing is 
Different than what I've seen some artists do, though, because a lot of times people, when they seek for timelessness, they're actually hitting on a different time instead of a timelessness. Yeah, they're they're painting figures that not don't ju just look like they could have been painted in the past, but only look like they could have been painted in the past. And one of the yeah. things I love about yours is that it is truly timeless in that it could have been painted today. You know, I mean, the, it, there's some, there's somewhat of a ambiguity to it that I, that's really mm -hmm. interesting and unique, I think about your work. Um, and how but, do yeah. you, how do you arrive at that? I mean, like, let's just take costume, for example. How do yeah. you well, dress I'll, your models yeah. in order to maintain that timelessness? Well, I'll first say that I usually, like when I'm talking to Divya about this stuff, I feel like I fail when, not that I, you know, putting myself down, but if I make it look too old fashioned, I'm like, oh, I failed a bit there, hmm. you know, on the timelessness thing that I'm going after. And there are definitely plenty of times where I feel like I went too old with it. Hmm. You know, they look too peasanty or something. And so it's, I think it also is from doing that and then correcting it, mm -hmm. you know, okay, why does this look so old and peasanty or, you know, because I do love the naturalists and stuff like that. So there's that, and I will give credit to Divya just has an amazing wardrobe. Oh, really? It's just and, there for you. Yeah, because she doesn't, she like doesn't, you know, doesn't wear pants. It's always skirts and dresses, and she has this style that I have to definitely give credit. That uh, Because my first whole show was like all, basically all paintings of her and all of her clothes. Hmm. And, uh. Wow. So she is and truly your muse yeah. right down to her clothes. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, usually other models, I'll be like, Divya, can I use your clothes? <laughs> I'll wash them afterward. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So this is like just one of her outfits, you know? No kidding. Wow. You know, there's something really authentic about that though. I mean, it, I'm a I'm I'm all about really being very specific about what I put on my models, but there's something mm -hmm. kind of charming and uh, like I said, authentic about having your muse as a you know be the one that I mean you're totally you're totally committed to that subject in a way. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so tell you, me, tell me yeah. about some of these specific paintings, like kind of where, you know, what the creative process looked like. like let's take this one, for example. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll say for this, I'm trying to remember. I think it was the way my ideas work are sometimes like I want two figures and, you know, kind of light on light, but their hair be one big dark shape. So mm. it's like a very compositional, uh, dark value, light value kind of thought process. And so I think this was sort of a, 
an idea of like, oh, two figures leaning on each other. Cause I already knew that I, you know, I like when the figure is kind of contemplating and kind of leaning into themselves or something. And then I was just thinking compositionally about shapes with this mm. particular one. And maybe there, I'm, I'm sure there was a painting that I saw that, you know, had something similar that I thought, you know, made the idea click. But yeah. This specific one, yeah. Is that something you do often? You get inspired by other paintings when you're composing your own work? Uh, yeah, definitely. Really? So yeah. from a technical standpoint, one thing I've noticed about your work is that your shadows are really transparent, almost non-existent in a way, like you right through here. Mm -hmm. And I realize that the camera can sort of exaggerate that sometimes. Um, but then yeah. you're then and then your your lights are obviously opaque, um, and that's just a, a an one observation. I don't I, you don't necessarily have to comment on that, but I would like to know a little bit about your process and how how you manipulate oil paint. You know what your approach is to oil painting. Mm. Yeah, just give us a whole curriculum in, in an hour and a half. Do you mind? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well, okay. Well, I first started to learn how to paint very much a Richard Schmid type curriculum. Like I had his book, Alla Prima, and I very much followed closely a lot of artists that were inspired by him, like Jeremy Lipking, mm -hmm. when I first started, was one of my big influences in so there was that that was very uh, optical, you know, optical because uh, there's kind of the optical approach and then the conceptual approach that's more like Grand Central Atelier where they're conceptual conceptualizing the light and form. Um, so I started out just kind of copying shapes of color, thinking very much like that. And then I've kind of combined that. I know this doesn't really touch in on the transparency or whatever, but no, that was just one is, observation. This is, this is great. Yeah. And then, so I learned to paint like that, but then once I came, you know, took workshops from Michael and then came to East Oaks and was around all of these, you know, Jacob Collins, Grand Central Atelier people, I started to understand how they conceptualize light and form. And so it's become kind of this hybrid where I'll start a painting pretty uh, optical and just kind of blocking in almost like a Richard Schmid painting, you know, on a good day when I, yeah. uh, you know. Um, and then I will, you know, let that dry and then sort of, sort of uh, sculpt out of it thinking about like the light and form and how the planes are working with the light source and stuff like that. Um, so I like to keep the energy from like the optical block in and, but then sculpt out of the flesh and stuff. Do you, so one thing I've always wondered about the, uh, the more form approach that you talk about with the grand central Academy, um, mm -hmm is I would find it very difficult to get good drawing, good accurate drawings and likenesses with that approach because you're not looking at mm. shape 
as much. You're thinking more in terms of form and shape is really what defines proportion. So do you find that, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but do you find that it's helpful to mix those for that reason as well as others? Yeah. I, yeah. When I look at some of that work, that's, well, it's interesting because I like, uh, let's take, let's take two successful CA, Colleen Berry and Michael Klein. They both actually had training first in a uh, more optical training mm-hmm. before they went to Grand Central Atelier. And they just so happened to uh, be incredible and amazing. Uh, but I do think for me, it very much helps to be able to, like you said, it's like kind of squint down, see shapes, find that very kind of, you know, shapey design, get things right, and then sculpt out of it. If I only had the other way, I feel like it would be very hard for me to finish a painting or get it to look a certain way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so tell me, um, uh, is there a particular painting you'd like to talk about that's meaningful to you in your, oops, I lost your website here in your, in this group of paintings while you're thinking about it, I just wanted to point out a still life painting. I just, I don't know. Yeah. My gosh, you're so good. (laughs) Like those peaches look like you just want to take a bite out of them. And it's just, man, they're so beautiful. Uh, and then your flesh yeah. tones, it's almost, I keep, oh, I keep going back off the website. Sorry about that. Um, your flesh tones are equally impressive. Just so rich, just like they can, it's like the, the skin has blood flowing through it. It's incredible. Do you have a particular that, palette yeah. for your flesh tones? I know that it can tell from the pictures, it varies uh-huh. somewhat, but do you have a particular Yeah. I know you don't have a formula. It's far too sophisticated for that. But um, something maybe akin to a formula where it's, you know, a particular set of rules or particular set of practices that help you achieve good flesh tones. Okay. I'm not even joking. It's what I learned at your workshop. No, come on now. Which your, is Your flesh is so different than mine. The, it's different, but I mean, the same principles okay. in terms of keeping... As you go darker in value, keeping it more transparent. Okay. And I try and, as I go darker in value, also use more pure and rich colors. And then kind of, as I crawl up to the light, become more opaque. So there's this play in that. And I mean, you can see in this painting all the little color shifts that I've, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I'm finding which also alludes to that aha moment I had at your workshop. Right. Do you weave color a little bit? Um, Like, and then, and then weave it to a point where it becomes a more of a smooth transition. Yeah. You really Mm -hmm. do. No kidding. Yeah. But it's definitely different than what you do, but there is a weaving happening where you can't just go to one spot and pick a single color. There's just like colors kind of, you know, right. Patching on top of each other. And yeah. 
Right. Wow. Yeah, man. I got it. So one day I'm going to take one of you. Do you teach workshops? Uh, very rarely. Well, when you do, I want to know. About I just it. taught one. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want to take one of yours now. Watching. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be saying everything you told me. No, because you, you have a different, you've hit on some stuff that I haven't hit on yet. You know, like I said earlier, I think your paintings are, I think you've surpassed me, but even if that, besides what's better or what's worse, um, mm -hmm. there's always something different. Like every artist has something else to bring to the table and you're mature mm -hmm. in your work yeah. now and you've definitely got some stuff that it's like you've taken this path and I had already taken this path and I would love to kind of know what's on your path and see if it can mm -hmm. redirect mine. I mean, that's, I've said this a million times on the podcast, but this is one of the reasons I do the podcast is because I want to sort of uh, suck up the powers of every artist that I admire out there. I mean, just to improve my own work, yeah. you know? I mean, you can never learn enough. So you ever see yeah, that? That's uh, been a, go ahead. That's been my, um, that's been uh, my method. Yeah, yeah. Try that's suck up every artist's <laughs> powers just to make something that's mine, you know? Okay, so one of the things I notice about your work is actually something I noticed when I was at the Met. Um, when I saw a Bouguereau painting, it was uh, the Satyr and the Nymphs. I don't know if I got that title exactly right, but it was on their te in a temporary exhibit. Huge paintings, like 12 feet tall. And the women in it, I noticed that their skin was like unbelievably pearlescent and just rich and beautiful it was on i've never seen anything like it but mm -hmm. you uh, have captured that quality in your work in your skin tones i wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of how you approach skin if there are any particular principles or secrets that you apply that give that quality that i'm trying to describe here I can't, I can't tell you the secrets, Jeff. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Just give us so, the ones that are going to throw everyone off their, tra off your trail. You know, the fake ones. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've got them written down. Um, well, first off, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Although there is still something about like food girl flesh that looks so creamy. And I feel like sometimes in person, some of my paintings in the light start to feel a little dry, but anyway. Hmm. Um, so yeah, part of that is, or how I achieve that sort of feeling is I think less about the light and more about the shadows and half tones. So like, and I, I think I was saying before that, um, I'm pushing beyond what I'm seeing. And I think it, it also comes a lot from painting, painting fruit from life. And it, particularly, I like a lot of my paintings have peaches in them, but, uh, you can see how there's like this weaving of color. Mm -hmm. So there, this weaving of color while still getting the, values and form right to make it still feel three-dimensional and so anyway 
I think I think that helped a lot too. I do like to tell people that they should paint fruit of life first before they start painting skin, especially if they're going to do it from a photograph. Hmm. Um, but the thing that I think is giving somewhat of a pearly quality is I really kind of try and find rich and warm colors in my shadows and then uh, turn out of the shadows with kind of a cool half tone. And then that reaches this sort of light color, but without the richness of the shadow and the half and the kind of cool half tone, the light would probably look dead. And oh, that makes me remember a lecture that you gave about how all shadows are neutral. It just depends on the light source or something. Oh, that was the porch society. Well, I was talking about, yeah, yeah I was talking about, and that's true. But what you're saying is you're exaggerating them. You're not following reality, yeah. right? What I was saying that mm -hmm. is that this idea that lights, that if you have cool shadows, you have, or if you have cool light, you have warm shadows. And if you have warm light, you have cool shadows. And I was making the argument that that's a relative statement that in reality, mm -hmm. the shadows are just the absence of light uh, and reflect the absence of light on the local color. So they're not necessarily going to be different in one light source or another. Mm -hmm. But what, yeah, but, but that's, that's, that's reality. And what you're saying is to make right. fluoresce, um, now, um, pearlescent, I couldn't say that word, pearlescent yeah. flesh, you don't follow reality. You're, you're pushing it beyond yeah. reality. Yeah, and I don't know if I already talked about this, but there was an artist, John Osario, I think is his name. He's uh, an instructor on the New Masters Academy website that did these super, well, it was these nude female figures, and they just seemed to be glowing and pearly, and the shadows were just like rainbow colored hmm. and very much far away from reality. But I noticed that the skin looks so pearly and rich. And then I realized if I just zoom in on like the, just the flesh, it was just, you know, like white or a pale color, nothing interesting. And that it was the shadows that were making the, the pearliness of the skin glow. So I yeah. definitely push the shadows past reality into this kind of warm. And then, I mean, you can see on this one, there's, that nostril is just yeah, and inside that crazy red. Like red. Yeah. yeah. So then there's a balance that you have to do once you put down like a crazy red like that, the balance of like kind of weaving in and out of that chromatic area. So it doesn't look unrealistic. Mm. So I'm constantly trying to balance the color. So if something is seeming too warm on warm, I have to add cools in there. And when that happens, I'm more just reacting to what the to the painting instead of the model. Okay. So, yeah. and this is the case, even if you're working from life, you're not even copying verbatim the flesh tones, even from life. Yeah, but yes, I am not exactly copying them. Um, I think it also comes from the way I reach an accurate color, mm -hmm. especially in shadows, 
I tend to do them quite lighter than they're going to end up so that I can layer multiple layers of transparent paint mm -hmm. that I can't get that value with just one layer without going opaque. And there's a certain point where I could reach the actual value that I'm seeing in real life, but it actually looks nice. So I stop touching it. Mm. And it is actually this kind of warmer, lighter color than what I'm seeing. And so it's almost like I'm going with the intention of reaching reality, but then I reach this place that's that I like better. And then learning that I've liked that better, I can now recreate it. Right. Huh. If that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. I feel like half of the things that I've, you know, developed as habits in my painting were accidents. I mean, yeah. that, maybe an accident's the wrong word, but we're just things I've, that I've realized that I like through just experimentation and process. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is, yeah. so you mentioned this, you know, we're just talking about this, uh, this uh, program that I did, the Porch Society, where I talked about how shadows are neutral. Um, and, but then there's this principle that seems to contradict that where if you have light or if you have cool lights you have warm shadows and warm shadows you have cool lights and you're exaggerating mm. the former which is cool lights warm shadows but my experience is and tell me if if you have a different experience because honestly i'd like i'd really like to know if uh my experience mm -hmm. is it doesn't work in reverse if you have really warm lights mm. and you cool the shadows way down, you know, and you, you exaggerate the shadows in that situation, it looks really bad. Yeah. That's been my experience. <laughs> Is that not your experience? Have you ever tried it in reverse? I don't think I have, but I've seen it. I've seen it done really well in reverse and really bad. Yeah, I'd and like to see I, it I, done really well. So I, sh I shouldn't mention who I saw really bad. <laughs> no. but, but it was kind of like, yeah, these they would put like a warm, almost lamp light right. on someone. And then the shadows would be like this blue and it like just, ultramarine or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it looked like the painting was just chalky and weird. But I would say Odd Nerdrum, his paintings it's all warm flesh and then super neutral shadows, but it's not, uh, not cold shadows though. It's not exaggerated though. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Cause I've seen people do, cause your, your shadows are quite exaggerated on the warm end and the equivalent mm. of that on the cool end would be almost like an ultramarine glaze, which would yeah. be like, <laughs> it would be terrible. Yeah. That would look that would look weird unless I bet it would, it might work if it was super rich and chromatic and not dry. We should experiment with that. See if we could be done. That'd be interesting. Think. Yeah. Yeah. That would do a full opposite palette. Yeah. I feel like you would still need cold, cold flesh though. I feel like it would only work if it was like cold, neutral flesh and then chromatic cold shadow. That's what I think. Yeah. So I feel like that principle yeah. only works in one on the, on the cool, light, warm darks. 
And, and, and yeah. yeah, so to me, that's a principle of painting, not a principle of nature, um, which works really well. Yeah. It's certainly working for you. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your palette. Do you have a limited palette or is it more of an expansive color palette? Yeah, so I am not someone who sticks to one thing. I kind of oh. jump around and try new things. But so this one that we're on right now, the the palette is a bit more expansive. I have like quite a few different reds, some like purpley colors, viridians, stuff like that. And then on the painting of the girl lying in bed, I kind of limited that down. And I only have really one red and then, but then I have like transparent oxide red, but one chromatic red. Um, wow. I don't have any viridian. So I'm mixing the green with just uh, like cobalt blue and yellow ochres and stuff. I took out any, so this one is pretty limited for hmm. me. Yeah. I think, I think I have my, my palette. Let me see if we can get this in the camera. No, that's pretty. Uh, I'd say that's more of a normal, average palette, not limited, not yeah. expansive. It's, oh, but this has the two reds on it. So this is actually the more somewhere in between. I don't know. I, I kind of took out, this is like a lizard and then naphthal red. And I just replaced that with a Chinese vermilion because I felt like it was right in between those two and what are the dark colors um, on the on our left the dark colors no keep mm, going all the way down the side uh, oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> everything's yeah. backwards yeah okay. i know <laughs> well, it's raw uh burnt umber raw umber black ultramarine blue okay so you use black then I do, but I almost never touch it, honestly. Okay, it's just there for the rare, that rare case. Every time I put it out, I'm like, because of, I guess, just the color wheel, I'm like, I should have a neutral blue, and I put down the black, but I never end up really touching it. And if I do, it's usually to neutralize something in the lights or halftones. I don't actually use black in my shadows. Yeah, I kind of wondered if you mixed uh, mixed the greens in this bed one with black and yellow ochre because you it seems like you almost could have. That's why I ask. Yeah, yeah, I think it was could have been. You know, I, I don't know. Remember. I don't know. I mean, you could have mixed it a million think, different ways. I think there's some cobalt blue in some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so yeah, here's another one of those lime green ones. It's just so beautiful, though. It's yeah. a beautiful color. You somehow are making it work, even though it's a yeah. Well, I could be wrong again, but it, that color that everyone's like, oh, it can't be sold. But gosh, I would yeah. own this painting in a heartbeat. It is gorgeous. Oh, thanks. Absolutely gorgeous. So tell me a little bit yeah, about this... this one. Is there a concept behind this? Some kind of a narrative? Um, you know, it's, I'm, well, I'm trying to think the specific train of thought that led me to this. I'm trying to remember. I mean, it could just be a portrait. Mm-hmm. That's fine too. I'm just, I was curious because it almost feels like it implies a little bit of a narrative. Yeah. Well, I always am trying for the most part to reach a, what I would call a subtle narrative. 
Okay. It's not just a portrait, but it's not so direct as like, you know, a certain scene of something, but that a subtle narrative, something's going on. So, so okay. So yeah. would you say you're doing portraits, but you're suggesting you're doing them and posing them in a way that suggests a narrative that you don't even have to necessarily think about, but it makes it more interesting for the viewer to look at. Yeah, well, there are some where it is more thought out, and then there's some where I'm like, I want a, I want a certain mood, mm -hmm. and so for this, it was kind of like this restful, peaceful mood. But I'm also trying to find interesting, an interesting pose that isn't so generic. So like the kind of the way that the hands bent and the fingers are, you know and how her neck is like so kind of crooked mm -hmm. down there. Something that's interesting and creates a certain mood, but not a specific uh, narrative. So with this painting, did you intentionally mirror the square with this pose? Oh. It's almost like a perfect mirror of the square which is really cool. But then I don't yeah. know if you, you probably yeah, didn't, true. you may not have intended this either, but you did the same thing with the hand. It goes down and then the fingers go perfectly down straight. And then the, the arm goes down. It also mirrors that square. I would love to say that was on purpose, <laughs> but I don't think it was. Really? Oh yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Are no, you serious? Yeah. You know what though? Isn't it possible? Um, that again, some of these things are just intuitive, which isn't a bad thing. Like, um, mm -hmm. It's just, you did it without realizing you're doing it. Or maybe it was I just an I think it's accident. like when, cause there was, I mean, we tried a lot of poses yeah. to reach this one. Yeah. And then there was probably something about this one that just led me to this cropping of it. Right. So it's like, you have an idea, but then the model influences it. And then what the model influence, you know, does influences the way that the canvas is going to be shaped in it. Oh, right. So it was reversed. So you had a square model and you chose a square yeah. composition in order to accommodate the square model, not the other way around. Yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, now here's one that feels less narrative, more portrait. Was this a commission or a, mm -hmm. it was, and how often no, it was, I was just, oh, it wasn't a commission. No, mm -hmm. no. It, this, was this one in your last show? Yes. I mm -hmm. wish I could zoom in because you posted this one on Instagram and, uh, you had a detail of the face and oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, thanks. <laughs> And I will say that when I say this yeah. one is more of a portrait, that's coming from a guy who paints portraits. Like, I don't see that as less. Mm -hmm. I just, it's just less, it's just different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but, oh, yeah, I can see why. Totally. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And this one, this one has warm skin. Warm skin oh, and warm yeah. shadows. Yeah. But that's probably partly because of her uh, race as much as anything, not so much the light source. Yeah. And I, and it's space. Yeah. Just cool light, but on a, on a skin tone, that's more like 
pig, like has more pigment to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with this, it must have just been really kind of balancing the cools in the half tones and stuff. Although it's not so evident zoomed out like this. This was more of a limited palette as well. Well, you have really cools in the highlight. There, it's pretty cool in the highlights. So I guess it is obvious yeah. that it, there's a cool light source. So it's still the same, um, same principle. Yeah, just different mm -hmm. skin tone. But it works so beautifully again. Yeah. Um, so what's what's next for you? I mean, what's your long term plan as a painter? <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> well, I, it, it's funny, like once you get, get what you were like always going after was, which for me was like getting into the good gallery and then doing solo shows and selling them out and being good, good enough at painting that people wanted to take your workshop, you know, stuff like that. Once you get once I've got like those kind of goals, it's like thinking back to the original reason that one starts painting, mm -hmm. um, which is just to keep getting better and better meaning what you think is better. So what I think is a great artist, I want to just be better at. So I want to improve. I want to improve my skills in drawing. I want to improve my skills in like constructive anatomy so that I can compose more without, uh, without a figure there. Um, just even more fine tune. What is Alex? What does Alex want to put out into the world and also try and get, make the paintings look better. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty broad, broad statement. Make the paintings look better, but you don't have specific <laughs> goals at this point of as to what, I mean, do you have a definition of what yeah. is better at this point or is it just constantly reaching ahead? Well, it, well, I think you, for me, the specific goals are where I feel like my shortcomings are. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd like to, if I have a model in front of me and I'm draw and I'm drawing the model, I want that to come more natural and more intuitive mm. to me so that, so that it's a more enjoyable process. Right. Instead of me pains, painstakingly like taking measurements and, you know, right. So also making it more intuitive and enjoyable. So in myself, the product might not even look different, but in myself, I am, having a better time or feeling more like the artist that I want to be, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that's a, that's a really great point because I think a lot of artists, I'm going to embarrass my daughter, but like my daughter next to me studying with me and she come on in Addie, show everyone yourself on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she studies with that's me awesome. and, and sometimes the assignments just aren't fun for her. And that's the case with all of my students. I'm just like, mm. Addie, that doesn't mean you don't, you're not going to enjoy painting. It's just that when it's hard, it's not fun when it's hard. 
It's like I used to, I played Little League when I was a kid and I could not hit a freaking baseball. That was a sport I never could figure out. And I hated the sport. Nothing, it had nothing to do with the sport. It had to do with that I wasn't any good at it. Um, Yeah. So there's really something to the joy you feel once you start to master something. And it's it's this lifetime pursuit to to reach that ultimate joy. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe you never reach it. No, but it gets better and better, right? It's always hard. Yeah. Yeah. It gets better and better as you get, yeah. I mean, as you get better at it and then it's less painful to do it. But so that, you know, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that. I mean, are there times where you just have to drag yourself to the studio or are you always just skipping in all happy with a big grin on your face every morning? Oh man. No, I'm, it's usually dragging most of the time. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, not like I'm dreading it, but it doesn't, I know it's going to be hard. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like if you're doing it well, that's how it's going to feel. Right. And if you're, and, or maybe you're doing it bad and it's really fun and that's cool too. Yeah. (laughs) Not for you though. It's not apparently. (laughs) I mean, we, I mean, I think we share that is that, uh, settling for less than our best is not fun. At least that's not my experience. Um, but then neither is uh, working uh, your tail off. Yeah. Cause I definitely, there's definitely burnout. And especially when I've done these past two solo shows where the first one I had to make 20 paintings um, in less than a year. And yeah, I was burnt out after that. And then, then after this second one, after I did the second one, it was kind of like, okay, I have to spread myself out a bit more. I need to include maybe more teaching or something so that I'm not just you know, in front of a painting all the time, you know, I need for quality of life reasons. Um, that's just going into what it's like to be a solo show painter, but, um, yeah, I was getting to something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> while you're thinking about it, there was a book that I just started listening to. And I think uh, many of the people listening to this podcast might be interested in this. Um, but my memory is, is absolutely awful. So I'm going to look it up real quick, but, um, it's so good. They can't ignore you. And I may have mentioned this already Mm. on one podcast, but it's by Cal Newport, but it talks about, it talks about how people need to get out of the passion mindset and into the craftsmanship mindset. And Mm -hmm. he makes the argument that by following your passions, that's not going to bring you happiness because typically most people, they only have a passion until it gets a little hard and then they quit and move into their next quote unquote passion. And it's only a passion when it's fun, but anything Mm -hmm. worth doing isn't going to be fun all the time. So if you want to be really successful, you need to have a different mindset. Instead of chasing passions, you need to be chasing the craftsmanship mindset, which is be so good. They can't ignore you. Just find something. Yeah work hard, be so good, they can't ignore you. And then you're going to find joy in the fulfillment of having accomplished something difficult instead of chasing a so-called passion that's fun every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, 
I was just like, yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing for the past 20 years. Cause I don't have fun painting every day. I, but I do yeah. enjoy the fulfillment of having accomplished something that's really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Same here. And you can always, you can always put yourself in check. Like when it's not fun, it's like, well, you know, I could be at an office job or I could be doing this. That wouldn't be fun either. So at least I'm not having fun doing something I love, you know? Yeah, and it sounds like a contradiction. It's like, it's like, I'm, at least I'm miserable doing something I love. <laughs> yeah. No, but Somehow it's not, it's this weird, it's this weird, weird dichotomy where you do love what you're doing, but you're not necessarily having fun every minute of the day. Um, yeah, it's weird. You know, that, that's funny because, uh, I think I've actually written that quote down or not even from that book, just like that was my mantra because when I was first started, because I was very bad at politicking, mm -hmm. like becoming friends with the right artists and doing the right contests and showing my face at these places. And cause I was pretty like just shy and all this. And I was like, just be so good. They can't ignore you. That was like Same. literally what I tried to do. Yeah. I yeah. was like, I don't want to, I don't want to get into this because I went out to dinner with the right person or something. Right. You know, I want the painting to speak for itself. And that's, and that's exactly why Michael Klein emailed you that day. Right. And exactly why when you came to my yeah. workshop, I was like, you were shy at the workshop. And I was like, dude, you are going to be a rock star someday and that was and it wasn't it wasn't someday it was like three months later but what yeah you kind of no. <laughs> you kind of shot remember. up like a rocket yeah no yeah that painting from that workshop i did was was pretty rough well you were it wasn't but you were doing something completely different and that's yeah and that's always going to be challenging um but mm -hmm. anyway so what is your day-to-day -day like though? I mean, I mean, are you there 40 hours a week? Are you, when you're painting for one of these shows, uh, mm -hmm. that's 20 paintings in less than a year, are you painting like 80 hours a week? What's, how does that work? Well, yeah, that first year when it was 20 paintings in less than a year that then, I mean, I was so excited for the opportunity that I was just pulling you know, really late nights all the time. And I just made sure I get it, got it done, but I can't, I know that I'm capable of doing that, which is great. I pushed myself to like my limit, but now I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, like this last one, I think I had two years to do the whole show. How many paintings? But usually my, I had, and I actually had less. I had like, 16 or 17. Oh, that's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, usually however much time you have, the, the paintings just fill in the gaps. You Isn't know? that funny like, how that works? Yeah. How long? Yeah. So, but my day to day is, I mean, I wake up and I try and get in the studio around like between nine and 10 and then I'll paint like all day until dinner time. And then that's, that's like kind of my schedule. And sometimes dinner is at six, sometimes it's at eight, you know, but 
So it's kind of sort of a nine to five feeling, but it's very much like a work schedule. Right. It's not just when I feel inspired or something. Right. Yeah. And do you, does it help to have Divya, who's also a painter, painting alongside you throughout the day? Yeah, sometimes it helps and sometimes it's worse if we're both having a bad painting day. It's not good. <laughs> you or, just barting each other's heads off you know, or what? Yeah, exactly. Well, right now we're in separate rooms, so that, that helps. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so there was one time when we were literally right next to each other and it's like, you know, you hear someone do like a, you know, and you're like, oh, great. what What's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like freaking painting. And then I'm like, you know, yeah. So it, but it does actually, it is really great because you have someone that you can get an objective opinion from, but that also understands what, what you're doing. Yeah. So I always ask her advice and she's like, yeah, my number one uh, go-to person for, to know if something's done or if something feels off or yeah, we're always bouncing off each other. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a cool thing. Very, yeah. that's, that's really awesome. Um, so in, when you go to Australia, what's the studio plan in Australia? You going to set up, base there just bring some portable stuff with you or what yeah i think we'll bring like basically a workshop amount of painting supplies like if you were teaching a workshop yeah. or something and maybe we'll have to just buy some materials there if we want to do some bigger paintings but we really don't have much of an idea yet there isn't much going to be much space for us to work mm-hmm but last time we went, it was a lot of, uh, we did a lot of plein air sketches and, uh, we sketched each other a lot. And so I'm, I'm kind of just excited to do that too. It's just be a, be an artist and go outside and paint and sketch each other and kind of loosen up a bit so that I can bring that back, that energy back to the studio after a few months. Do you think you'll get inspired by the Australian landscape? I mean, I, I did last time we went, I did some landscapes and it is pretty cool because it's so like dry and open and where we are here, I think maybe you were saying this, that Addie felt this, but when she was in North Carolina, how it's like, the, every, there's so many like tall trees and everything you can't see far yeah, out. Yeah. Addie did say that. Yeah. Cause Utah's not like that yeah. at all. You see forever. Yeah. I think. Uh, you know, Australia is a bit more like Utah in that way. I feel like you can just look out forever, it's specific areas, obviously, but so that will be nice and inspiring. Yeah. And I like the kind of the colors of, that the dryness uh, brings and not so chromatic and lush. Yeah. Really beautiful earth tones. Yeah. Utah has got a lot of yeah. great landscape painters because of that. I mean, it's just, I mean, the Hudson yeah. River School was pretty awesome but I feel like it's really so much easier to come up with uh, beautiful compositions in the West. Um, and I would assume Australia is yeah. somewhere where you have all these beautiful browns and ochres and oranges and, and greens. And instead of just green, mm -hmm. green, 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 everything's green. Yeah. Yeah. Green on green. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what you come up with. I mean, because you've got some beautiful works here uh, with uh, like figures in landscape. And uh, I mean, I'm not trying to encourage you to do anything in particular, but it'd be interesting <laughs> to see if you came up with anything unique to Australia with the figure in the landscape. Yeah, I mean... I should. You should try and get a crocodile it, in one of them. That's that's my only request. Yeah. And if you can pull that off, I would be. All right. Yeah. I'd Not be. a kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, a kangaroo would be nice too. I'll I'll accept kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're they're a bit more accessible. Yeah, and <laughs> less a little less dangerous. Um, all right. So now, one last question I have for you is. Um, yeah. You know, you did really, I mean, you, you've said a couple of really insightful things today. I mean, one, which was great to hear as an artist who struggles to always find joy in every minute of painting and that you struggle with that. Two is that your mantra mm -hmm. was be so good they can't ignore you. You know, um, those are yeah. those right there are two things that I would think would help any artist who's trying to make a living in this. But what else? would you share with an aspiring artist who wants to make make it in this field yeah what piece of you advice? know i think i think one thing that really helped me is and it's it's so simple but stop looking at living artists and stop and start looking at dead ones really okay why is that yeah. i think one because i I think that a lot of painters that are trying to make it are looking at a lot of living artists for their inspiration because that's what I was doing. And I mean, those people are alive to teach you, so that's good. But you start, I don't know, there was something, it was, I mean, I was getting the critique all the time. I think even I got a critique from you when I, sh when I was at your workshop and Michael and I think even I showed my work to Garen Baker during your workshop and it was like, you know, it's, it's looking good, but it's a bit too much like this artist, you know, that mm. artist is already exists. And there was something once I started shifting into looking at, you know, paintings I loved from the past in terms of inspiration for how to paint and what to paint. It's just something just clicked a lot more naturally and felt a lot less, you know, derivative of something that's already being made today. Oh, okay. So the so that's a super just practical thing. Yeah, which we all need. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, it was great talking to you. It really was. I'm yeah. a, you know, as you yeah. know, I'm a huge fan. So thanks well, for thanks doing so the much, podcast. Jeff, the the fact that I, you know, was once in your workshop and now you think I'm worthy of even asking to be on this podcast is such a cool full circle moment. So just thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, no problem. You became so good. We couldn't ignore you. That's how it went. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could leave a comment or review that really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends, and if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.